Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to have a guest with me today in the studio who has graciously traveled from New York to be with us, (laughs) and her name is Kelly Black, and Kelly is the founder and CEO of Balancing the Executive Life. And um, in a nutshell, Kelly is a strategic and trusted advisor who supports um, both executives and leadership teams. Welcome to the show. Thanks. It's good to be here. It's great to have, have a little you. break from New York. Right. I know. I think that's funny. A break from New York. <laughs> a little break from New York. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about a lot of things that have to do with the the work that you do and the business and the people that you help. Um, but as we always do on my show, we're going to get a little bit of background on you um, to let the listeners know a little bit about where you came from. So just talk um, briefly about your years growing up in New York. And I actually grew up in Massachusetts. Oh, you did? Yeah, okay. in Western Massachusetts in a little town, 40,000 people. Um, it might be a little bigger now, but a college town, Northampton, Massachusetts, okay. which is about 40 minutes from the Berkshires. Okay. And when, but then you did move to New York, did you not? Yeah, I moved okay. to New York after university. So when I got out of Boston College, okay, I first moved to Princeton and then a year and a half later moved to New York. Okay. Yeah. I, I want you to talk a little bit. A lot of your story has to do with um, who you were growing up and your the, the family dynamics of your mom and dad. I know that is something that, you know, really helped to shape who you are. So give us a little overview of, of that young girl, um, Kelly Black, growing up. Well, it was interesting because I'm 49. I was born in 1965 when um, in many states it was still illegal to have a mixed marriage. Um, So my parents had actually gotten married in North Carolina. My dad was in the Army at Fort Bragg, and then it was not the best place to be a mixed couple. So they had moved back to Massachusetts, where my mom was from, to Northampton. So I grew up um, in an environment that was... Well, there were certain dynamics between my parents that were a bit fraught, but I think they did the best that they could. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of growing up at that time, being somebody who was mixed, I definitely just different things formed me. You know, people didn't know how to cut my hair, which sounds like (laughs) a small thing, but it was kind of a weird thing as a girl growing up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were some things that were a bit odd like people not wanting to come to our house to play Mm -hmm. because my dad was black um, and I'm super super fair Um, so there was always this kind of weird disconnect the way I was perceived and then people would say oh my god but she looks just like her dad except for he's like 10 shades like darker than her yeah so there was this sort of um, always sort of consciousness around being really different um, and that wasn't always externally perceived in a positive way. I was fortunate to grow up in a family um, where both my mom and dad were kind of had this fighting spirit in them, clearly the choices they made getting together. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
being seen as any kind of victim in our house was completely not allowed. So whatever I experienced externally, um, I was never allowed to blame anyone. Um, we were sort of, my sister and I indoctrinated with a pretty hard line about it. It was intolerable to see yourself in any way through the lens of being a victim. Yeah. It was sort of forward focus and right. focus on what you want to be mm -hmm. in the world. At the same time, I have to say it was um, in many ways a pretty isolating kind of weird experience at different points. Even things like, you know, your first date. And at that point, my parents were divorced and, you know, the guy going, oh, my God, is your dad really black? Is that true or is that a rumor? And I would be like, no, it's actually true. Oh, dolt, dolt, kind of. Yeah. And it was kind of weird because, um, you know, Massachusetts is the most one of the most liberal on paper states in the country, voting and otherwise, it also can be extremely segregated. Mm -hmm. I One of the things that struck me about your story mm -hmm. is um, how, you know, those early years, of course, any child is really, they're really not aware of what's going on kind of um, outside of the family as far mm -hmm. as stereotypes and perceptions. Mm -hmm. And I, I love, I can almost picture you as a young girl, you know, <laughs> prior to seven years old, being very spirited. Oh, totally. And, and, and as you have said, you're so, you know, a little full of yourself. You were totally. the queen. In Montessori and, school. Yeah. I was the queen. I yeah. love that. because <laughs> At four. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, here's the sad no, thing. totally. The di you were that way because that you were, you were different. Mm -hmm. So that to you felt special. Totally. And then all of a sudden, you know, you just hit this this wall totally. because somebody says something and then that whole perception of yourself changes. Um, it's a very key part to your story. You mm -hmm. know what uh, your, your aunt said. And Ugh. if you can tell that story. God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that that is um, very telling. In, it is. Very, I appreciate that because it is very telling in the sense of um, it coming from lots of different directions, mm -hmm. right? Like the the in quotes being different because I had an, an aunt who my father was super super close to, um, and uh, I, it's important to me that people listening to this understand that um, you know I grew up in a college town that was very homogeneous and very white and afforded me certain things. Mm -hmm. And then every once in a while, like every couple of years in the summer, we would make this road trip to North Carolina to see like the relatives. And I was never around any black people. I mean, my dad, but you know, I mean, he was Mr. Corporate MBA, whatever. I mean, and we listened to R&B and dance, but you know, it was, it. you know, we would go to North Carolina. It was kind of this culture shock because we'd be thrown not only into the South and grant and keep in mind, this is in the early seventies. It was a completely different time. Right. Um, but we would be thrown into my sister and I just kind of into a world that was so different than the one that we were growing up in. And I had an aunt who literally used to scream at me, you think you're white. And I would just be like, I'm not really thinking about it at all. And it was only when I got, older that I realized how wounded she must have been, how much anger she had to like say something like that to a child who would just be like, but it was so venomous that 
it would shock me. And what was really difficult in our family is that nobody ever talked about that. So it would sort of be like respect your aunt mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So this big, you know, you know it's it's like a, a big emotional thing going on for a seven-year-old. And then there's no outlet. Totally. There's no discussion. Yeah. We were not an emoting family. Yeah. That's common. That's common. <laughs> Do you know any Irish Catholics? Yeah. Well, and I, yeah. And I was brought up Catholic. So, yeah. So there, yeah. So, um, but I must say that um, the combination of all of it, um, even though it created a lot of woundedness in me, it also created sort of, there was an aspect of me that kind of got used to not fitting in and kind of, um, even if it wasn't comfortable, it was sort of my reality, which I think prepared me well for what would, you know, fast forward to adult life. It yeah. enabled me um, to not be a people pleaser Mm-hmm. as an adult and to also um, be able to take risks that enabled me to start a business that then became successful and right and pivot and change gears easily and yeah. see things through a different lens. Yeah. But yeah, it was pretty traumatic. Yeah. I always think it was hell. I'll okay. be honest. Yeah. It was it was pretty. It was, well, you had uh, many years of, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to jump to where you are <laughs> no, today without, you know, visiting. no, it's true as a context. Yes, because yeah. what I have been so impressed that. about when I think of you is to me, um, the adversities that you faced, you overcame because of your willfulness, um, not necessarily because you let others kind of um take care of you and figure it out for you? Well, no, because there really wasn't anybody. I mean, I think my parents were, they were doing the, you know, they're intellectuals and whatever, but my dad also had a substance abuse problem and my mom came from a family that had a lot of substance abuse, Mm -hmm. alcoholism. And I mean, they had so many of their own demons. It wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of nurturing or that. It was like sort of, you weren't allowed to be a victim and you had to kind of be a Viking. Like, yeah. no, I remember my dad like falling off my bike, like, cause I would want to go fast racing down this hill. And I flew off my bike, which I still have this huge scar on my knee and one on my elbow. And I, you know, I was a kid, I started crying. And my dad saying to me, there are no victims here. Tell me what the problem is and we'll fix it. And just be like, <laughs> you know, and that was sort of the kind of it. Yeah. Right. And you right. kind of, sometimes you just want to hug. Yes. You don't really want to analyze. Yes. Well, I was going too fast. I fell off. I skinned my knee. It really hurts. It's bleeding. Can't yeah. you see that? I kind of, it's well, not it's, that, <laughs> you know, you kind of just want to hug. Yeah, yeah. And there wasn't a lot of that. Yeah. It's, it's such an interesting topic to me because I think that sometimes that toughness, if you're raised with some of that, it really does help you throughout life because I mean, life is hard. Yeah. And I'm steely. <laughs> but. You, but I'd like to think yeah, I'm but you, warm and accessible yes, also. Yes, absolutely. Um, but as children, you need you need a balance of both. You know, you certainly need <laughs> yeah, to be taught resilience, but you need some hugs and kisses. I think hugs are good. But luckily yeah. for me, you know, I was very, very, when I was, okay, my parents were finishing grad school when I was born. So I was actually brought to my grandmother, my mom's mom, when I was six months old. Right. And I stayed with my grandmother until I was two. Okay. So really, I mean, I don't, I mean, this, I don't know how this will be received, but it's honest and it's the truth. I don't feel like I really attach to my parents in a way that I don't know what's normal. I only know my own reality, but I was always really close to my grandmother Mm -hmm. and she was, you know, I was the first grandchild, the first 
niece or nephew. I was the oldest. And like the sun rose and set on me in her eyes. Mm -hmm. And just to be seen by one person in your life. Like that. Like that is a pretty empowering thing. Mm -hmm. um, so despite whatever it was like at home, I, I did have my grandmother. Mm -hmm. And what kinds of things did, did she say to you that, that stay with you? Because, you know, the words oh, are important from, yeah, from the one who, you know, loves you unconditionally. I mean, she would just always say to me, you know, you can do anything you want to do. You're a child of God, you know. Um, you come from God. You go back to God. You're completely loved. Just be the best person you can and everything will open for you. Yeah. And always, you know, just go forward. Yeah. We need those reminders. Yeah. yeah. She was amazing. So let, let's, you know, and she jump. she was fun. And she was so, so, she, so she was a break from, like, the intensity of this, like, achieve, achieve, achieve yeah. kind of environment. You know, I mean, she would just kind of let me do whatever. I mean, this might not be a good parenting technique, but. <laughs> yeah, but, but she's she, a grandparent, and that's <laughs> their she job. she's a grandparent. Yeah. So, you know, at her house, you could tear apart, like, pull all the sheets out with your friends, make tents, like, food everywhere. It was right. just sort of, like, free yeah. in a way. Yeah, that's her job yeah, as and, a grandparent. Yeah, and yeah. with my parents, I always felt the pressure of sort of, I don't I don't think this was a conscious thing, but they had kind of bucked a whole um, social code in the society. And my mom had totally bucked her background marrying my dad. And I always felt like, consciously or unconsciously, they put a lot of pressure on me to kind of be this thing in the world, even as a child. And mm -hmm. I think it was sort of like you know, you will show them all that this was fine kind of thing. Oh, right, right. That's a, that's a lot for a child. <laughs> yes. A lot of pressure. That's you know, lot. you'll be a great athlete. You'll be the AP kid. And all of that was borne out. But No, that's an interesting piece, though, that you feel it, that that was unconsciously coming from go prove to them that, you know, this type of family unit can work. Completely, yeah. Yeah. And it was sort of... Um, yeah, there was just this expectation to achieve academically, like show no weakness, achieve academically, um, be beautiful while you're doing it, and be a great, like the scholar-athlete thing. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if I came home from, well, sometimes I didn't get all A's. Sometimes there would be an A- minus <laughs> or two, and both my parents would say, you know, with their glasses on the tip of their nose, go through my report card, what happened with the A-? minus? Wow. So it was it was intense. Mm -hmm. That's very hard to relax. Did your you have a sister, a younger sister? Do I you think she felt sister. the same pressures? Felt it the same way, or did she? You know, everybody's different, so they take it. Yeah, she definitely felt it. She did. Also. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where is she? But she today? was, um, and she wouldn't mind me saying this kind of public knowledge. She was a surprise package, and my parents' marriage was not in great shape actually, when my mom be, was pregnant. So she, um, you know, she also had that layer of it, mm -hmm. which I didn't, you know, I didn't have, I wasn't a surprise package. They had been married for like a year and a half. Yeah. How long did you have your grandma in your life? Until I was 26. <clears throat> yeah, that must have been difficult. Oh, to... I'm getting chills. Yeah, it was yeah. devastating. And what was devastating for me, you know, all this wiring to achieve, I was in New York working in advertising. 
living with my then fiance and who was traveling for business. He was older than me. And, you know, my grandmother was in the hospital with colon cancer. And she used to always say to me, you know, just do well, like have the life you want to lead, you know, you know, whatever happened before growing up, just focus on what you want to create in your life. And don't worry about me in the hospital. Don't, Mm. you know, just be in your life in New York and do what you want to do. So me, like in all my achievement and like running as fast as I could, like I didn't really integrate how sick she was because Mm. I didn't go to the hospital. I never went to the hospital when she was in the hospital. I kind of embedded in my head her saying, live your life. Don't worry about me, blah, 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 blah. And I think I just disconnected. Like, it was unfathomable Or did to you me not want to she... see her in that? No, it state. wasn't even that. I think I just couldn't integrate that she was that sick. I don't even think it was even got to the point of, I don't want to see her sick. I mm-hmm. think it was just sort of, she was just this, like, force mm-hmm. and fun and, like, really vibrant. I think I couldn't integrate it. So I just went into the, like, she wants me to do I'm going to do well, what she's gonna... asking me to do. yeah. And she always believed in me and the best tribute to her will be to do this. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of went into a tunnel doing it. And then a cousin of mine called at like three in the morning saying, uh, my grandmother was French, Meme um, passed away. And I just remember, and I'm getting chills. Like, I just remember literally feeling like, oh my God, I'm in shock. Yeah, it changed your whole life. Totally, it changed my life. Yeah. You know, because it was that one person who unconditionally loved me who I felt like you know it was great if I achieved but if I had just stayed in Northampton and not become this ad exec in New York and the whole New York thing Mm -hmm. I think she you know I just I would have been the same to her yeah and so to have that go out of my life was pretty just like whoa people actually do pass away you know it was kind of because the arrogance of youth too Mm -hmm. in your yeah, 20s. even in 20s. Yeah, Even in yeah. your 20s, right? Right. I mean, for me, I mm-hmm. it just, I didn't have a real concept of death. She right. was the only person who had passed away at that point in my life that mm-hmm. I was close to. So it was a very abstract kind of thing to me. Yeah. Um, I, I want to uh, talk a little bit about how you, um, you know, so this, this backstory that we're talking about yeah. is kind of, um, gives us a nice picture of who you were at the time. And yeah. um, how did you get your job in pharmaceutical sales? Pharmaceutical advertising. Or advertising, I'm sorry, advertising. Oh, my God. This yes, is... because this is a big, you know, long oh, was, time that you were it, in advertising, yeah, high totally. pressure. Yeah, it was a long time. Um, it's totally random, but not random. I wanted to be a diplomat. I wanted to be in the Foreign Service. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> and I um, was trying to pass the foreign service exam. And then my dad was saying, get an MBA. As a woman of color with an MBA, <laughs> you will be sought after. And I was like, I don't really want an MBA. But ironically, I work in business. It's, so it's kind of interesting how life is. It's just kind of interesting. But meanwhile, I was trying to pass this. Here I was, this scholar, athlete, high achieving, like all A's all the time person. And I, and I couldn't pass this test, which was a Kind of, which sounds so silly, but it was kind of traumatic. I was like, oh, my God, I'm not the smartest one anymore. Okay, <laughs> now what do I do? I I I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Dole, dole. Okay, <laughs> now what? <laughs> and um, my sister was at Columbia um, University, and I had many friends from school in Boston who were in New York, and I thought, okay, 
I'll just go and get a job in New York. And then I, the first ad agency I worked for was actually a consumer boutique agency. And my boss was an alcoholic. It was still like kind of not Mad Men time, but people still had martini lunches and stuff. <laughs> right. You know, it was the 1989. And um, Jerry didn't come back to lunch and we had a pitch. And then Mel Schoenfeld said, you know, will you put together the deck? You should do his part. And I was 23. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had, this was the spirited side, right? And I had been an athlete. So I thought, even though I was shaking in my booth, I thought, okay, well, we have to win. We have to win the pitch, right? And yeah. so I went with the president of the agency to pitch Pioneer, what was then Pioneer Electronics, and we actually did win. And then he became super focused on me. He was like, you know, you have what it takes. And then mm. when the economy was going through a rough patch, he said, you know, go into pharmaceutical advertising. People always get sick. People will always need drugs, and they pay a lot more than the consumer agencies. So it wasn't like I had an interest in science, or right. I was always much more into fashion, art, like politics, yeah, international relations, right. creative, and global stuff. I yes. wasn't into drugs, but I didn't know. And here was this man who I kind of looked up to, who had, you know, given me these opportunities. So I thought, well, if Mel Schoenfeld says that must be true I'll go do it must be what I'm supposed to do must be yeah we're going to take a quick break and and thank our sponsors who um, help us to produce the show and we will be right back with Kelly Black founder and CEO of balancing the executive life are you the parent of a daughter in middle school if so I must tell you about an upcoming event at Mount St. Joseph Academy As the parent of an alum, I know firsthand the value of their academic excellence, athletic and arts programs. This private, all-girls Catholic high school in Montgomery County provides the foundation our daughters need to go on to leadership roles at top universities and future careers. I know my daughter did. To register for the open house, go to msjacad.org backslash open house. And be sure to ask about their financial assistance and scholarship programs when you visit msjacad.org backslash open house. Hello. Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes, Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. 
I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the City of Light. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip, or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch. Uh, again, my name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined in the studio today by Kelly Black. Uh, Kelly is the founder and CEO of Balancing the Executive Life, and it's a business that, that Kelly started. She's uh, basically a strategic and trusted advisor for executives, corporate executives, and leadership teams. Um, and the, the first half of the show, we were getting to know Kelly um, and talking about her her backstory, where she came from. And um, when we left before the break, we were talking about your years in New York working in advertising, which was a very um, fast-paced, competitive industry. And I'd like to talk a little bit about what you learned from those years. I know that they were very pivotal in in where you are today. Oh, my God. Yeah, they were they were. An incredible gift in my life, and they form it. You know, you work a lot of hours in advertising, long hours. Um, so it formed me a lot in the sense of 
things in, in many ways that help me now in my business. Um, for one, it was like getting a, I was on the account management side and business development side. So we not only had to understand the client's business, but we were also responsible for growing our business within the agency and contributing to the line. So it was, I always had um, line jobs and the pressure of that within the agency. So increasing the billings and the income and managing the clients strategically. And it was a great business education. I feel like I got an MBA without getting an MBA mm -hmm. because I learned how to do um, strategy. I also learned and saw what made good leaders, what made leaders that were just expedient and how that had a ripple effect out into teams within the clients and also within the agency. Um, it taught me a lot about being resilient, but also being adaptable to change, um, which is relevant a lot these days in a global economy. It also taught me how to pivot and also see it's a very pressured environment. Um, and the clients typically were quite demanding. They spent a lot of money. And it also taught me how to navigate quite challenging situations in terms of the value that we were bringing to the client mm -hmm. and sort of developed in me a mindset that whatever we were pitching or whatever service we were providing had to create a value that was five to 10 times whatever we were charging them, which stayed with me. Mm -hmm. It also, as a woman, also formed me in terms of what, um, this may not be PC, but again, I'm pretty transparent and honest. It also formed me in terms of what I did not want to become as a woman in business. Um, many of the, for one, my best bosses and mentors were always men. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of the women that were around me on the agency side, um, I didn't, I wanted to be successful. I didn't want to be successful in the way that I saw around me with a lot of the women who had become what to me felt not aligned with what my values were being a woman. I didn't want to become hard. Yeah. Okay. And I yeah, didn't want to yeah. become brittle mm -hmm. and I didn't want to become, you know, someone who was um, competing with men in a way that I felt was polarizing. Mm -hmm. We so, talk about that a lot on the show about, mm -hmm. you know, you can be a leader and you can be successful and you can still um, carry the qualities of a woman in your work. Um, yeah, I actually, I mean, I have pretty strong opinions about being a woman and what has made me what I am. Um, and I feel that my biggest strengths in business and outside are fully embracing what it means to be a woman. So traditionally things in business that would be called sort of soft skills, things are, that are referenced in the Athena Doctrine, which is a book by a man named John Gertzma about how really the qualities that are necessary to do well in business are traditionally feminine qualities in conjunction with some of the more driver stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I never wanted to lose my, I never wanted to become compartmentalized within myself. I mm -hmm. never wanted to lose my ability to be empathetic and emotionally intelligent and follow my intuition and and have faith and trust things even though they weren't proven yet. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to lose that because yeah. I felt like that's what, and I still do feel like many of those things are what make me able to make a difference or serve in the world. Mm -hmm. that, 
we could that could be a whole other it could show. Be a whole other it could show. be a whole other show. The book. Um, so let's talk about you know there you reached a point in your career when you felt you know what this is not working for me. And um, I'm wondering, as I'm listening to you talk about, you were very conscious of not wanting to become a certain um, a certain type of woman in the work that you were doing. And when you started to feel like, you know, advertising is not for me, was part of that because you were feeling um, uh, the push or the pressure to be that type of woman in the work that you were doing? Or did, you know, the unsettling come from somewhere else? I mean, it... You know, 9-11 had just happened in New York, which was pretty traumatic for the country. But also, if you were living in New York, it was, I think, particularly traumatic. And that day, I was supposed to fly to France and actually had gotten in the car and seen all this smoke billowing from downtown. And the driver said, oh, a a plane hit the, the World Trade Tower. And it was this incredibly sunny day. And I remember thinking, that's impossible. How could that happen? And then getting to the ad agency, which was everyone was piled into this big conference room watching the second one. Where was, literally, where is the, uh, what was the address of the building you were uh, It was on 35th and Madison. Okay. Um, so, uh, but backtrack a little bit, I, probably about five years before that, I was starting to feel like kind of becoming more, it wasn't enough just to have the job and have what it looked like on paper kind of getting to a realization that, okay, why am I, the why questions, mm-hmm. like, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, because in the beginning it was like, oh, people believe in me. People think I can do this. Oh, I'm good at this. I'm successful. Oh, I just got another raise. Oh, I seem to make a decent amount of money. Right. Oh, well, that, isn't this yes. all super exciting? Yeah. Look and at my I, fancy shoes. Look at my, <laughs> yeah, I have Prada shoes. Woohoo. You know, all that, all that kind of stuff. Right. And then I was just kind of, <clears throat> getting really unhappy and I was traveling all the time. I had a mini nervous breakdown. I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Like it, it's not values driven or purpose driven. I'm doing this because I'm getting certain external validation. But if I'm really honest, I'm not happy. Mm -hmm. And then I went to L'Oreal because I thought, oh, pretty and cosmetics and Manola Blahnik's clicking down the hall and it all, and my boss at the ad agencies told me, you're not, it's not going to be what you think. But I was all caught up in the French thing and whatever. And um, it was so hierarchically structured that it was not a good cultural fit for me. And I went back to the agency um, after a year at L'Oreal, but really that kind of misstep going to L'Oreal opened up kind of the bigger questions because I was going back, right? There was a reason I had left the agency to mm-hmm. go to L'Oreal. Mm-hmm. Then I was going back and I sort of was in this, I had, I just couldn't picture myself. I was like, how do I become not unhappy and how do I connect with my purpose and still make the money? But I was so embedded in this identity of I'm the ad exec who has this life in New York. I couldn't even see past it. And then 9-11 happened and my boyfriend at the time broke up with me, so I, and then there was a political shakeup at the agency. So I had no boyfriend. My city that I loved was in a total crisis, and I didn't have my job anymore. Oh, my gosh. And it was yeah. like, and I remember my sister in her wisdom, and I'm super close to my sister saying to me, you know what, this is so crazy, all of this happening at the same time. This is like an act of God. Like, this is trying to wake you up. 
Well, they say sometimes, sometimes it takes a big, big, completely. There, there's messages all along completely. and you're not paying attention. And then all of a sudden it takes, you know, a, a catastrophe, a crisis to really shake to you up. To wake you up. Yes. So that was it for me. And then I realized how burnt out I was. <laughs> I realized how I had made all these decisions out of like the wounded places in my life um, and trying to protect myself. And then I thought, okay, I just need to just stop for a second and really figure out what am I doing? Like, why am I doing it? Otherwise, I'm going to be one of these brittle people that I don't want to be. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about the time, you know, so you really made a conscious decision at that point to kind of um, be more uh, contemplative, I guess, and really search what it was that you wanted to do. And in that time is when you were introduced to the oh yoga and the meditation yeah. and gosh, you know, so many people are doing that today. It's I it's know. remarkable to me and it's it's turning lives around. I know and I was so type A. My sister was always trying to get me to go to yoga. So it's kind of ironic it where is I am ir- now. Right. It's actually really ironic yeah. because I was like, ugh, it's all these like people in their Birkenstocks and they don't have real jobs and they're kind of <laughs> clueless <laughs> right. and I'm super spiritual but practical and right. they're out there and I could never relate to it. And then right. all my whole life imploded and I was walking by this yoga studio that had a sign in the window that said, we have a, a class to heal a broken heart. And then I thought, you know what? Whatever my perceptions are of this, my heart is completely broken and I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm lost. Like I am lost. Yeah. And then I went to that. And then a woman who went to that class said, oh, but the really big guy, he just opened a studio. So that's how I ended up meeting my mentor and teacher, Dr. Levery, who's the founder of Nam Yoga, and he, I remember meeting him and saying, you know, I really like business, and I'm kind of lost, and my heart's broken, and, but just so you know, I like to drink red wine, and I don't want to be a vegetarian, and he just started <laughs> cracking up, and he said, you can hide have your wine and whatever else you want, it's so not about that, and then I remember thinking, like, oh my God, totally connect with him. And then he said to me, you know, you need to heal your heart and you need to open your heart. And it started before, long before the ad agency and the boyfriend and whatever. And I just started sobbing. And he said, you know, I'm going to lead you back to what you already have in yourself. I don't believe in anybody following anybody. That's not how I am. I don't want that. But hopefully I can help you heal. And that was the, the pivotal moment in my life, meeting him and the teachings. And it just made me, opened up a whole other thing in myself. Yeah, that was your aha moment. That was my aha moment. And the aha moment of it's actually possible, It it's possible to heal all this stuff, like really heal it yeah. so that I stop making decisions from this place or from this conditioning or um, and I had been to therapy and it never, it just didn't do it for me. It just, people would, I don't know, that's a different discussion, but yeah. that didn't, didn't crack it for me. It was the the teachings of Nam Yoga. Yeah. Can you talk for a few minutes about that where, um, because I think probably most people um, do this in their life. They make decisions based on um, things that have happened in the past um, that kind of, 
keep them stuck in a place. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think because our human nature, we can be certainty driven. And I think, um, you know, there's a pretty deep imprint from different experiences and, and then it creates a certain consciousness level. And, you know, for me, the working with mantra and working with these teachings, it helped me to see beyond the level of causality. So to see, to expand my consciousness beyond anything I had experienced up to that point. So it created in me a, a kind of deeper access to my own creativity. So I moved from like what I needed to fix to, okay, this is, it's possible for me to create this. Mm-hmm. And then it gave me the tools to do it. Yeah. So it became, so beca- I became less certainty driven and, and more, um, I will, I, it's possible for me to create the, create the evidence of what it is that I want to create. I don't, don't need something externally validating it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's which really, was super powerful. Very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to take one last quick break. And, and when we come back, I'm going to start out with one of my favorite quotes from Kelly Black, founder and CEO of Balancing the Executive Life. Are you the parent of a daughter in middle school? If so, I must tell you about an upcoming event at Mount St. Joseph Academy. As the parent of an alum, I know firsthand the value of their academic excellence, athletic and arts programs. This private, all-girls Catholic high school in Montgomery County provides the foundation our daughters need to go on to leadership roles at top universities and future careers. I know my daughter did. To register for the open house, go to msjacad.org backslash open house. And be sure to ask about their financial assistance and scholarship programs when you visit msjacad.org backslash open house. Hello. Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes, Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized 
enterprise success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnston, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the City of Light. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, Wealth Management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch. Uh, I'm thrilled to be in the studio today with Kelly Black. And Kelly is the founder and CEO of Balancing the Executive Life um, in New York. And uh, I want to start, I want to read this quote because, you know, in my research, um, I read it and it just resonated with me. Um, You said that my abiding philosophy is that women and men are not put here to compete with each other, but rather to partner with each other to achieve our highest and most productive operating state. I agree with that. Me too. And I love that. I Me love too. that. That came from my heart. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it could be any other way. You know, we're both here. We're all here. And, and uh, I agree with that. But for various reasons, I think things can sometimes become pretty polarized. Like I've sat in meetings where people complain about the guys going out to golf. And I'm like, you're senior vice president, you're on the leadership team. Like, what are you really talking about? Like, do you want to go golf with them? Is that what this is really about? But stop like knee jerk, you know, going toward that. It creates like a polarization that I don't think is useful in organizations and otherwise. Yeah. Let's, let's get right into the work that you do. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think, I thought it would be great for the audience to, maybe if you could share a success story about a client that you've worked with or a company and, what you actually do, what you go in and teach, 
um, what some of the tools are and how you've seen some results with this work. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. One of my clients who is a very tough CEO, he said that I should get the Nobel Peace Prize and that I'm the positive transformer, that I can take any storm and turn it into, (laughs) help people turn it into something that's um, useful and helps move them forward to meet their goals. And he's head of um, a luxury fashion house. I mean, it's interesting. I became... I became known within executive coaching circles and within um, consulting as for this methodology that I came up with that kind of takes into takes into account the whole person. So it has a spiritual component, which is not always talked about in that language, but it's helping people connect to their heart and lead from their heart and you know, one of my biggest success stories, which I did not do in isolation, I worked with um, Chris Meyer, who's a global strategist, and we were both brought in by this client to help them work through um, a very tough situation in the C-suite. And what I was able to do, which was beyond the strategic aspect of working with them, was to help them shift to a level of consciousness where they could get beyond the things that were so divisive between them in terms of the perspectives of how they felt the company should be run. Um, And it had gotten to a very acute level um, where it it just had gotten to be a full-blown crisis. And I think my superpower is helping people see beyond what is right in front of them whatever the crisis is. I do a lot of change management stuff. I do a lot of um, women's initiatives, but not typical diversity initiatives, but women's initiatives that are really tied to strategic business objectives within the company and also bringing the men into that. So it's not a polarizing Mm -hmm. thing. Um, But, okay, another success story. When I worked, this was a few years ago, I was brought in um, to Microsoft to work with them, with the operations people there, there, and they had such levels of stress and there were issues with the CEO and it was helping people really move to, again, from fixing things to what do we want to create, to have a level of consciousness where on the ground they can create what serves the people in the day-to-day, the customers, the boards, the shareholders, but to create from a place that has a different consciousness um, and that opens up more possibilities for people and for the organizations. Um, I'm always curious to know in the the industry that you are in, and just and for the listeners, some people don't really understand what change management is or even executive coaching. It's not something that has been, you know, historically um, around for a long, long time. It's not therapy. It's not, you know, no. um, psych- there's psychology element involved. But can you be more specific about, in other words, give us an example when you go into, let's say, a boardroom and you're sitting there with all the C-suite executives and um, something that you say that's very... Um, specific. This is what we're going to do today. This is what we're going to work on. I mean, I always do a cultural assessment um, and also like a feedback loop where I interview. So if I'm working with the C-suite, I interview 
um, both their direct reports and also people who are peers so that I can give them feedback about them mm-hmm. in an objective way. Um, but in terms of change management, I'm working with a healthcare organization right now who's moving to being an actual healthcare plan. They were a nonprofit that serves disabled people and they grew really rapidly. And then um, because of all the healthcare reform, they are moving to be an actual health plan. So there are many different elements of that. Um, how do you create, how do you maintain the the values of the, that the business, that the organization was founded on, but still adapt so that you don't have to close, so you can still adapt to the business reality. So helping people shape the culture and then what are the initiatives on the ground that are going to uh, move them to where they want to get to so that they're still a viable business, but also without losing the soul of the business. Because what happens with most people are not um, comfortable with a lot of change. They're more certainty driven. So within organizations, when there's a dynamic like that, you have a lot of um, morale problems. You have a lot of innovation starts to shut down. Creativity starts to shut down because people are really fearful. Um, So it's helping people give people self-management tools also so that they can stay open and forward focused. And it's much deeper than, um, motivational stuff. It's how, like, in the moment, do they stay connected to their highest operating state? That's my thing. So not being react, being responsive, but not reactive, mm-hmm. not um, making impulsive leadership decisions that then they need to clean up um, because the not being expedient, being thoughtful. Um, taking the whole human system off and there's a, a disconnect. People could fall into either the what culture do we want to build or what are we going to execute strategically? And we I help we I help people bring the two together and stop seeing that in a polarized view. Mm-hmm. Now there, there's definitely a difference between uh, a woman and a man in their thinking and, and the way they strategize. So Absolutely. when you go into a company, I'm assuming that sometimes there's I would say more men than women that are going to be a little hesitant to um, want to go through these steps that they, you know, that they might think it's kind of. But you know what I have to say on behalf of the men um, and everybody when I started my business actually said basically what you just said, you know, and my first two organizational clients were Microsoft and Booz Allen, which is a big Booz Allen is a management consulting firm and everybody said the guys there's no way and what I really have loved about working with the guys is the guys want to move it to where they want to move it to so they're not so completely attached to how we're going to get there but they're very attached to that we're going to get there Mm -hmm. and there's an openness um, you know, the CEO that I referenced earlier in his new working agreements is a, he was so reactive and combative and aggressive. He's trained as a lawyer, um, written into his new working agreement that went to the board was that before he opened his mouth, before he started meetings, before he led that he would do a certain breathing exercise because in doing that, he's less reactive. reactive. <clears throat> I think that is such a huge uh, thing to overcome um, to be responsive and not reactive because it's that huge. reaction is from an emotional place. Um, 
are there techniques to, to work? Uh, I guess the breathing. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, I have a joke with my clients, even the ones who think this might be like woohoo or whatever. I always say, you know, <laughs> you are, you're not an amphibian, right? You're, you're breathing, right? And you're this very high achieving person. So what about if you could get more value out of your breath? You know, what if that could help you be more innovative, more productive, lead better, communicate mm-hmm. better, be more receptive? And then they all say, okay, let me give, give it a try. And so like a really simple thing, if you just inhale, hold your breath, count to 10, it's going to bring your head completely into the present moment. If you exhale and hold your breath out, it's going to cut anxiety. Mm. So it's a simple thing. All my clients do that frequently because it's so simple. Yeah, yeah. And you feel a, a sh- internal shift. Right. And your shoulders drop. And your mind clears. Right. Um, we only have a few minutes left. Tell me what you most want our audience to know about your business and what you do. If you could leave them with one um, one thought. I mean, I founded Balancing the Executive Life out of um, the desire to really support high-achieving people, do things raise the consciousness of how business is done and make it more human and more productive and more fun. Yeah. And that's what we do and help people not lose their humanity in the process of meeting their business objectives. You know, one of the things I just want to take a step back real quickly because I had made a note, um, you know, that you, you discovered that your own evolution of self-healing um, could actually be a profession. And that must have been a wonderful moment for you. It was an amazing thing to discover that I could do something that actually worked and created um, measurable value in the world that in, that took into account the totality of who I was, that I didn't need to compartmentalize myself. Right, right. We're at the end of the show, and I am so grateful to you for coming to, in here to share your story and some great advice um, for executives. And give your contact information real quick if someone wants to reach out to okay, you. Okay, my email is kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y, at balancingexec.com. My phone number is 917-586-5554. The website is www.balancingexec.com. Terrific. Thank you so much. Thank That's you, That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, um, feel free to reach out to my website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>